Woo! All right. So here we are, third week of July. Film God's podcast, listening film family. Um, what a what a month. Um, going to one a week has just been an amazing thing for me. I've been able to kind of give some time back to being Papa Bear and um, doing a little bit of work. Um, and re-listening to this episode was just a delight for me because music was my thing, is my thing, has always been my thing. Uh, way before I kind of got into the film industry, I wanted to you know, make music videos for my band, SLD, who... Um, the bassist is the man that has made this track that you've been listening to for the last few months. It's the D great. Um, and the man that you're going to listen to today, he's got a Grammy. He's got an Ivan Novello award. Like we've left Kansas. This is just, it's happened. It's award winning season, baby. Um, and it was just, it was just so great to hear him and how he comes up with his process and his creative flow and that's the thing i'm really getting excited about it's just hearing how these creative people be creative and come up with these magical things that somehow make it down to paper so you're gonna have a great time listening um i'm big love i'm proud of you let's do it let's get started so hello film family um today um the wonderful mr danny Kleiman has put me on to this man, um, it's a job that if I wasn't on a film set with my love of music growing up and playing saxophone in bands and all the rest of it, it would be where I'd want to go. But I'm on set and I'm a second AD and I love it. Um, but I'm just so thankful that a man of this caliber is happy to give us a bit of time. So um, thank you, sir. What is your name and what is it that you do? Uh, my name's David Arnold and I do a lot of things, but technically I suppose I'm a film and TV composer. Okay, and what does that mean to you? Well, uh, it's something that I've always wanted to do and something that it's any real thing I've ever really done in terms of being creative. But what it means is, well, being a composer covers a lot of ground. I mean, mm. I do, I suppose I'm more well known for film and TV, but I have done theatre, I have made records. Uh, and, and so I like, I mean, I like writing music. Like on a daily basis, what I like to do is, is to write and produce and record music. That's what I like to do. Mm. If it's for a Bond film or if it's for a Weetabix advert or if it's for a TV show or if it's for a little play or if it's for a big play, it's still the same job. I mean, I'm sitting in a room by myself trying to find an answer, a musical answer to the question that the project asks you. You know, nice. it's, a series of, it's a series of problems that it says, look, this is where we are and we need this help to pull us through it somehow. Mm. Um, and so it's like, it's like tunneling into something to discover what's there, you know, and sometimes you get surprised and you have to find a different way around it. But it's, it's mainly the job is, is, is writing music every day is what it is. If we, if we, if we, if we're reducing it to what it is, it's that oh, yeah. the application of it is, you know, is very different depending on what you're working on, but the, but the essential Part of it is I, I do a job where I kind of see something and hear music. Someone asked me to write a song about thing you want. I don't think I'd be able to do it because I wouldn't know what to write about. But if I see something, I'll hear, mu I'll hear music. So I wow. think that's probably why I moved towards, um, uh, you know, like visual media. Uh, rather, Is it something that you had in your mind that you're like, I'd like to do that? Or did you just have a passion for music 
you, you know, what, what was the, what's the route up to, to film composing? Um, well, it depends how far you want to go back. But I mean, if we were condensing it, I would say age of six or seven at primary school, hearing when people are singing out of tune and out of time and it bothering me. Yeah. Uh, playing simple, you know, it's playing simple things mm -hmm. like, you know, you grab a recorder and the first thing that you do when you grab a recorder is someone teaches you how to play London's Burning. Uh, and playing London's Burning in a round, you know, so you, you know, that's one of the first things you do, theory-wise, they play around so everyone starts and the whole thing joins up and it feels like, oh, that's amazing, how does that work? And hearing additional melodies, you know, if you're singing a, uh, a, a hymn or a carol or something at school in assembly hearing other lines you know wanting to sing sort of something which was a harmony rather than the main line and always wanting to be involved in the thing that got me excited and the thing that really sort of tipped it was uh, I, had, I had two amazing teachers in my primary school uh, I had uh, I had a teacher who um, Mr Kerridge his name was um, who was so kind and so enthusiastic about music that it made me think that there must be some good in it for someone as wonderful as him to like it that much. Because mm. you trust grown-ups when you're little. Yeah. Uh, and, and he was enthusiastic about it, but also gave you all the time in the world to find your way through it. And you know, when you're primary school, it's all about discovery. So he kind of led us through that and um, little school choir and little ensembles and doing assemblies in front of in front of the rest of the school. I loved all that. Um, Did you get the uh, butterflies? And then in my, no, I never did. And I, it's weird because um, my, my, dad was, my dad was a boxer and then he, he took up singing. Uh, he was never professional. He could have been, but he had kids and he didn't want to basically go on tour or any of that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, he used to play at a lot of sort of social functions and pubs and clubs in and around Luton where I was born and brought up. And um, he used to take me with him from a very early age and stick me on. As soon as I learned to play London's Burning on a recorder, he would stick me on the stage at the Biscott Mill in Luton <laughs> on a Sunday night and nice. tell everyone to shut up and listen to me. So it's like I was always up and playing in front of people. Mm. And, in, you know, those sorts of things when you're a kid, no one's going to boo. You know, I discovered that later. But when you're, you know, when you're, when you're younger, yeah. everyone's going to clap and it feels, you know, so it makes you feel good about playing music. And then in my secondary school, I was a, a teacher called Colin Smith, who was so invigorated by music, so enthused by music, so incredibly excited about music. It was like, you know, he had a zeal for it. And, 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 mm. and, and it felt almost messianic, you know, the kind of love and enthusiasm that he had for it. And I thought, my God, it's like I've never seen a grown-up as excited about something like the overture in C minor. You know, it's like it's not a big deal, but he was like totally into it. And that's very, uh, you know, you kind of catch hold of that enthusiasm. Um, and uh, I was in the school band, in the school orchestra, and he was conducting. And he was always, always very proud of it and drove it to a very high standard. And it was a very high standard band. Uh, and some of the players have gone on to be professional players. Some of them have joined the forces in the you know, military bands and everything. Yep. Uh, and, and so there was a really high standard of player. And the band was a very high standard. And the thing that really got it for me was in my second year, so I suppose I was 11 and a half, 12. Um, and in the band, we had an arrangement of Jesus Christ Superstar. So this was the first kind of piece of music that I knew, 
you know, before we started playing it. The rest I know, sort of what instrument were you playing at that point? Clarinet. Clarinet okay. at this point. Nice. I think, the, I think the logical step is that, you know, if you go to a secondary school and they say, do you play any instruments? And you say, yeah, I play the recorder. They go, well, this is, you know, your mum and dad, you know, not really knowing about anything else. Sort of yeah. say, well, maybe a clarinet. It's the same, you know, it looks the same, a bit mm. bigger and with some keys. Um, so I started doing clarinet lessons. Uh, which I never got on with. Uh, I mean, I did quite well at it, but I, I was never at ease with the instrument. And I think it's partly because the the the, the, the music we were playing was, was classical and formal, and the performance was uh, 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 the performance was uh, 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 trying to understand someone else's music, and and I could never get really close to it because it always felt like it was someone else's idea yeah uh and i always wanted to go somewhere else and my dad came home one day with a guitar and i picked that up and started playing that and all of a sudden it was like oh no i can do what i want with this nice plus the fact you saw a guitar on the telly you know you watch top of the pops on a thursday mm. night people would come on and it was like a it's like a magic wand mm. you know there's something otherworldly about it and it's like around a bonfire if you break out a clarinet you're probably not you know get the guitar out yeah. you're that guy <laughs> yeah i mean unless you're at a jewish wedding uh it's never going to be that popular but something about an electric guitar it's an electric guitar as well wow so you know there's something slightly uh magical about it mm. and i remember bringing it to school when i was eight or nine and and you know you just sort of coo at it because it's the most unbelievable thing anyway basically two incredibly enthusiastic teachers made me think that music was brilliant and amazing and playing in that band and playing the, 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 the opening chord of Jesus Christ Superstar, this wind band arrangement that someone had done, was so loud. And it was like everyone was playing at the same time. Uh, and it was like the first, you know, bum, 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 da, 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 da. And it made me, like shivers went down my spine. I mean, it's like, I didn't know that well, but I knew the song. But being a part of the group of people that made that noise, I thought, like, I'm a part of what this is. This is what mm -hmm. I'm feeling. And then when I went on to, you know, go to cinema, watch films when I was about the same age, used to go a lot to the cinema, was, you know, I was as thrilled with that, you know, and being in a group of people in an audience where you watch this thing and you kind of submit to it. You know, there's this odd, I know it's sort of breaking down a little bit nowadays, but, you know, there's an odd sort of respect for, for, the, for the film when you go and see a film in a cinema in that most people shut up and watch it you know when the lights go down people tend not to talk too much they tend not to do that much different you give the thing a chance you get yeah. your attention uh and i remember thinking like it's such a powerful thing cinema it's such a powerful thing to be able to make people feel differently um because they're paying attention to something mm. uh that's why it's different to tv it's one thing i learned about you know things from tv tv is a very intimate a very intimate uh, medium and, and there's something a little standoffish about cinema there's some because it's such a long way away from you you know a you have to go in this social contract to watch it yeah if you're watching a film at home with your family you go up, you know make a cup of tea or do a wee or stop you know no one's gonna complain mm -hmm. but you have this kind of social contract in the cinema that everyone you know sits down shuts up and watches um uh, and so there's a little bit of distance with cinema which i love for sort of big messaging but but um you know, TV is an incredible, powerful, intimate medium, and that, that sort of gets to people in a different way. So I loved cinema, I loved music, listened to the radio, loved songs, played music in groups, uh, and 
I was put, I was 31 till I got paid, put it that way. So wow. from the age of, you know, sort of eight or nine yeah. to want, from wanting to do it, to getting through, I didn't go to university, so I never studied music formally. Um, always playing in bands, you know, meeting people who wanted to make films mm. uh, and, and then spending, you know, sort of leaving kind of college, so 18, 19 really, or 20-ish. Um, and then spent the next sort of 10 years learning how to do the job by doing it, you know, for nothing with wow. student filmmakers. Uh, and I'd be doing, I'd do two or three weeks um, working in a temp agency, you know, sometimes it was in a computer factory, ping pong ball, manufacturers, bicycles, uh, cornflakes ovens, B&Q, stewarding at rugby matches, um, working for British bakers. You know, you do two or three weeks of work, living at my mum and dad's house, uh, and very little equipment and set it up in the back room. Uh, and, and then you do two or three weeks, enough to keep you going. Uh, and then um, I would spend the next two or three weeks writing, you know, doing a student film. Did uh, you find that, similar. like, say, if you're, if you're, you know, you're working at a ping pong factory for two weeks, that then the next song that you'd write, would it ha would, would you have been influenced by what you were hearing that last couple of, you know? Well, it was interesting because, like, as soon as I started doing stuff for films, you tend not to write songs, you know, unless it's required for the movie, but you write a lot less. I mean, before I was doing that, from the age of about sort of 12 to 16, I was writing a lot of songs because, you know, Everyone, if they're being honest, at some point sees themselves as a you know rock and roll star or something. Yeah, and, you know. And, yeah, Tick, I've uh, got to be honest. Uh, I've been there, done that. Yeah, <laughs> Thought I wanted yeah. it. And it's quite it's quite healthy when you get to the point when you can realise that you're never going to get to say thank you, Wembley, good night. Yeah, you know, there's something quite sobering about mm. that. There's only one uh, Bruce Springsteen. And uh, <laughs> and then um, and and then you think like, well, you know, actually, is that what I really want to do? It's a good lesson to learn that if someone can sort of talk you out of something you think you want to spend the rest of your life doing in a reasonably short amount of time, mm. you can probably be fairly sure that you didn't really want to do it as much as you thought you did. Yeah. And um, I found that with a couple of things when I was thinking about maybe doing art or designing for theatre that, you know, I'd spend a few months working on something and I'd have a conversation with someone and five minutes later I'd be saying, I don't really want to do this, mm. you know, and it's rid ridiculous really. So it took a while to... Uh, to figure out exactly what I wanted to do. Um, and it took even longer to get around to actually doing it. Um, but, you know, it's, 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 like, it's like you said earlier, the, everyone has their own unique way in. And I think you find the people that find their way in uh, are probably the ones who are maybe, you know, driven and... Mm and you know feel that they're that, you know they've got to find some way in somehow rather than waiting for someone else to open the door mm. or you know can you point me in the right direction can you do this can you do that you know people who find their way in sometimes they're discovered by people sometimes but they're discovered because they put their work out in another way yeah. you know i remember like talking to danny elfman about um about um you know his first film which was peewee with uh with tim burton tim burton had liked the band that he was in you know and, and asked him wow. to do so if he hadn't done that, he would never have been asked and he wouldn't have had a career in, in film composition. So, you know, Hans came in, you know, via the band world and programming uh, for records uh, and then, you know, sort of being an assistant to a composer and then taking off and doing his own things. You know, if he hadn't been doing the band stuff, then maybe, you know, the credibility that he got from having success in that world 
you know, might have meant that um, he wouldn't have got, you know, hired as a sort of technical kind of creative assistant mm. uh, for his first job. Um, so all these things are, you know, are, are fascinating. Everyone looks for everyone looks for the big break. I did a talk once at the um, university. I was getting an honorary degree. Uh, they didn't ever have a real one <laughs> so you obviously feel horribly guilty about it but uh, they ask you to talk about something you know when you're getting it and yeah. um and and i was thinking about the idea of your big break because i used to work one of the part-time jobs i had was working in a recording studio selling equipment it was basically like a shop but it was also a recording studio so people would come in and you know, i'd have to demonstrate equipment to them you know reverb units or microphones or drum machines, all this sort of thing. Uh, but at the same time, this stuff was was in, a, in an equipped studio that people come in and doing sessions. But if the guy who owned it sold something, you come in the next morning to do some recording and the thing that you've been using the day before have been sold. So there's a bit, you know, there's a little bit. Wow. Uh, a lot of learning on the go. Interesting. And working with people, which is another thing we'll get onto later. But, um, uh, but you know, like all those all those things doing and people used to come in all the time and they always used to say if only i had that piece of equipment i could do what i need to do mm. you know and you'd, you'd see them come back like month after month having bought that piece of equipment and then found another one that they think that they need in order to do mm. what they need to do um and you can you know in a way it's a kind of lifetime of procrastination this thing you know if only i had this bit of equipment i could get where i wanted to do i could do the work that i wanted to do and I was finding that I was doing stuff with whatever I had, you know, and it was pretty yeah. low tech. In fact, the first two films I did was basically with borrowed equipment from this studio. Wow. Uh, it was, you know, it really wasn't much. Um, but did they, they know about it? Some of the bits they did, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, we borrowed quite a lot of things in those days. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, you know, you can if you've got it in your head, you know, and you can find a way of getting it out of your head into the world. Mm. Then you know you tend to be able to find a way. But everyone that I know has found a way in, which is so different. You know, there is a you know there is a school of thought. That, you know, if you work as an assistant to an established composer, uh, you know that will help, and it does help because you get to see how the job is done. Mm. You get to meet a lot of people. You understand the politics of it, which is massive. Uh, um, how to deal with, uh, you know, clients and directors and producers. How to work with bands and studios. How to make things work in a studio environment. All those things. You know, you can be an assistant for eight or ten years and then hopefully break out and do your own thing. Mm. And that is a thing that happens. But if you think of the real big ones, you know, the big composers, they all came from somewhere else in a way. You know, not really film school people just music people yeah. that had that had a, a, an opinion and a voice and a take and the thing what people look for when you are applying you know when people think of you as a composer for a film they don't want you to come in and say well what do you want you know they want you to come in and say this is what i think mm. this is what i think it is this is my this is how it makes me feel you know yeah. and these are the reasons why you know, the reasons why you do things are really important. You can't just say, well, I've got a new synth and I like the sound of it, so I'm going to do it all on that. Mm. People have done that. Um, you know, you have to have a bit more thought involved in, in why am I making this sound? Why this sound? Why this note? And why there? 
and why like that? Because someone at some point is going to ask you that question, you know, and if you don't have the answers, why do you speed up there? You know, why does this sound so big here? Uh, and you've got to be able to, you know, describe the reasoning behind that, you know, and because you like the sound of it isn't a reason um, other than, you know, for your own satisfaction. But, you know, most of the time it's, it's applied to something and it makes a difference to what you're seeing and hearing. So you've got to know all the reasons why you're writing the notes that you're writing and you're making the sound that you're making. Um, so you need to be able to do that because some day, someday you're going to get a, a, a note from a guy in a studio you've never, you know, met before saying, I don't like the oboe at this. You know, I don't like the sound of the flute there. And you can write back and say, well, this is the reason why it's like that. Mm. And if you can't, then you know, you're sort of in a, 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 a whole sort of shed load of, you're going to have to be taking notes from, you know, sometimes not the best people, enlightened yeah. people uh, to and you know, those, change stuff. Does that, does that ability to, to give an answer to those questions, is that through experience or is that just something that you just, how, how do you, how would, you know, to describe why a specific oboe is at a place? What is it that gives it that, that, that reasoning? Well, you have to constantly refer back to what it is that you're doing. I mean, you know, you write music and sometimes it feels musically you could go in a direction and you can follow that. Of course you can. But it's a bit like with a painting, you know, like every time you apply a new colour, it's a really good idea to step back and see what it is that you've done. Have I made it better? Why is it like that? Why have I done it like that? Am I seeing it like this from a slightly different direction? And it's like when you write something new uh, for, for, for a film, uh, you know, it's like it's going to have an effect on everything. Mm. Um, and so you need to be able to be sort of very critical of the effect that it's having and understand the effect that's having. Now, you shouldn't ever really be surprised at the effect that it's having because presumably you've considered that effect and that's what you want to do. Mm. But sometimes, you know, your consideration and your view of it might not necessarily sit in as well with, with, with the film itself as it plays through. And, you know, so you have to be prepared to sort of go back and maybe look at things again and do things again. Um, so I think to a certain extent, you know, people can write because they like the sound of where it's going and so they'll do that. But the main thing is to apply it to the picture itself. So what you do is appropriate for the storytelling because it's all about the storytelling. And if you're not supporting the storytelling, and what you're doing is, is, is sort of jamming along to a film. You're not becoming a part of it. You're kind of commenting on it rather than being a part of it. And that process, you know, you kind of said that you look at an image and you hear the music. How does that process, you know, you've done some amazing films and, you know, some incredible stuff. How does that, what's the starting point you just you watch the film you know what what how do you start to create what you create uh well sometimes you get to see it not always um sometimes you get a script i mean john williams uh doesn't read scripts because he's done enough films to know that by the time a film is finished it can bear you know quite a scant relationship to the script that you've read I've done it myself a couple of times in the early days. I've read a script. I've written a load of music based on what the script is. And then I've seen it and they cast someone and go like, well, that looks, you know, he feels now completely different to how I imagined it. Mm. Uh, or, you know, this sequence is much darker than I, that, that I read, you know, it's like, and it's a, it's a team sport. You know, you know yourself that it's about wrangling a lot of elements together. 
yeah. in the physical production, in the actual production where you're having to get actors and lighting and sound and props and, you know, design everyone together to be at the same place at the same time at the same point so you can shoot what you need to shoot on a day you need to shoot it. Mm. You know what that's like. That's like herding sheep and... and, and, <laughs> and Box and, of frogs. And, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. exactly the same, really, with music. You know, you have to be aware that everything that's happening, you need to be aware of everything that's happening in the picture because uh, it affects what, what you write. So reading the story, for me, the value of a script is, do I like the story? Do I like the script? You know, do I, could I imagine myself being a part of this world? Mm. Uh, and the next thing is, who's casting it? You know, because obviously casting Harrison Ford in a lead role uh, and then maybe casting Arnold Schwarzenegger in the lead role with exactly the same script, you're going to get two very different movies. Yeah. That's because of what they, what they bring to it. So the yeah. tone, you know, is influenced by everyone, everyone, everything that happens from the editor, you know, the, the, the direction, the choice of lenses, the lighting, you know, everything will make you feel differently about it. And music will do the same thing. So I like to be able to see something first, even mm. if it's not the whole thing, you know, it's like, I like to get a feeling for what it. So what it you know getting a feel is really yeah, the, yeah. the key to it. What does it feel like? Because you know music's just an emotional thing. It's not like I need a bookcase that looks like this from the 15th century. You know, mm. it's like I want to know what it feels like to see a bookcase from the 15th century. <laughs> you know, they're very very different. <laughs> I'd like drops, to hear that. You know? Yeah, I want to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so that's what you kind of need to get, to be to be getting into. So uh, ideally, read a script see if you like it. Yep. Be hopefully the people that are making it are people that you like uh, and would want to work with because you don't want to be getting up every morning for you know twelve weeks, you know six o'clock every morning and do you know same fourteen, fifteen, sixteen hour days, seven days a week with people that you wow. don't really like that much. Uh, and um, uh, and then the last thing is, is is you know do you think the film's any good? You know you hope that it's going to be good, but at that point when you say yes to it, you know everyone holds hands and jumps. You know, and you kind of close your eyes and hope you're going to land feet first on something soft. Um, you never really know. Um, but that's an act of faith, you know. And sometimes mm. films have come back where it's like, well, it wasn't quite what I hoped it would be. Mm. But I'm here now, so I'm going to, you know, do my best. So at that point, you know, script or first look, I like to then not look at it again for about two weeks and come up, try and come up with two things. One is... Does it require music music? Is it a bit sound designer or is it more music? You know, do I have to write notes and, you know, actually write something which is musical or am I creating something? I mean, Dracula, for instance, the TV show just went out on BBC, you know, but about 50% of that was a feeling rather than music music. Mm. You know, it was kind of designing sound, which, which kind of unnerved you in a way. And it, and it avoided, you know, the, the, the sort of cliches of, of, of what you would do with strings or woodwinds in order to create that, you know. So we have all these tools now that we can do that. Um, but usually it's a combination of both. So thematic material, you know, tunes, melodies, um, sounds, you know, creating your own sounds, going out and recording what you need to record. A couple of weeks of coming up with, hopefully at the end of a couple of weeks, um, you know, an idea of things that I could send you maybe a five-minute piece which if you played it, 
would tell you that this is the film. It belongs to the film. Is it like a musical no, blurb of sorts? It's like you kind of, you know, the tagline of the film for you musically. It's like yeah. your ideas to get a yeah. sense of what they, what directors yeah. it's or like a, they... it's like It's like a mood board, I suppose, isn't yeah. it? You know, it's yeah. like we're not applying it directly to your film as it stands. But if you listen to this, can you see your film in this world you know mm. does this music fit within your mental idea of what this film is when you close your eyes so forget about the physical thing of watching someone walk across a room open a door and shut it behind it mm. does the feeling of that you know can you get the feeling of the film through music and that's really the key because once that starts happening once you start connecting to it then the real hard I mean, there's two hard parts of the job one is probably the most difficult one is coming up that idea mm. it's what your take is you know um and that's the same with an actor you know i mean if you if you put the written part of taxi driver in front of an actor what made robert de niro make the choices that he made to create that character yeah. which, which which was so unbelievably three-dimensional unbelievable and terrifying you know again if you'd have given those lines to Arnold schwarzenegger totally you know he would yeah. have, he reports so so it's not just the fact that it's written down and this is mm. what he's saying is what he's doing but it's like why is that what is that do you bring to it so part of it is that um and uh you know they want they want some original thinking uh and they want someone who who who, who brings ideas to it mm. you know, now when you're working for a told what to do i was just gonna you know you kind of your 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 take on the images when you're working for a Brand is the wrong word, but say in a feature film that has got, that's part of a series, how yeah. creative can you, you know, say for a Bond, do you just try and do what's done before, but with your own little twist? Or do you, is it better to just kind of throw everything in the air and rip the book up and say, look, I want to go in this direction? Well, I think they did that with Goldeneye and it didn't fly as well as it have hoped, I think. You know, mm. I mean, that was probably the most, I mean, apart from John Barry's original work i would say that it was the most original approach to it because it did you know basically burn everything that had gone before and tried a completely different thing which i thought was quite bold mm. and exciting um but you know moments i suppose um the thing about joining in with a with a bond and i suppose it is unique because it's the longest running um is that whenever anything is established thematically um, you know, you got to understand the reasons why that is and why it works. Mm. I mean, I don't know if you could go into do a Star Wars movie and not nod towards John Williams quite significantly. Yeah. I mean, I know that the score for The Mandalorian isn't in a particular Star Wars universe, but I think that's a very different film. If it was a Star Wars film, then you know, then you know, I mean, people that have done it, um, John Powell uh, in the Han Solo movie, and then Michael. Giacchino in Rogue One were very much in the John Williams thing because that's the language of it. Yeah. Um, you know, the language of when I did Shaft, it was like I sat very much in the in the language of the original movie. You know, mm. the, the score for that was quite extraordinary. And it's like, well, you'd be mad to abandon it. Why would you? Um, uh, and for Bond, you know, I mean, I'd love Bond films anyway forever. Uh, and I love John Barry. So for me, it was kind of being aware of what had gone before and bringing that along uh, and never ignoring it, uh, but hopefully moving it forward um, a little different. I mean, there's some, you know, there are cues in some of the Bond films that I've done, which you wouldn't know necessarily were in a Bond film. They're very different. 
but alongside the ones that are, you know, the whole thing sort of makes sense. And that's a way of moving it forward. You know, I always, I always tip my hat to John's work. And um, more than anything, I wanted the spirit of it to be right. Yeah. You know, I, don't, I think if there's one thing that music does is that it ties you to the heart of something uh, and it anchors you to the heart of something emotionally and spiritually. Um, and no matter who's playing James Bond, a bit like Doctor Who, I suppose, um, you know, there's something about the way that music anchors you to the core of what that character is, mm. which is beyond who you're seeing, you know, because we know him well enough now uh, to get past that, you know, Daniel Craig's James Bond is very different to Roger Moore's James Bond. Yes. But it's still the same guy, mm. you know, so you have to kind of get to the core of who James Bond is and play that rather than the actor that's playing it. Um, and, you know, if you're joining it, if you're jumping in with any series, um, you know, I think you have to know what you're talking about. I think you have to know where it's come from and be aware of the reasons why it worked the way it worked mm. um, and try not to throw the baby out of the bathwater. Yeah. And that, you know, that when you're in your when you're in your process, did you, do you kind of have a specific thing that you start doing first? Once you've done the mood board, is it like you get on the guitar, you get on the piano, you, you know, have you got certain things that are like this is going to be the start for today? At well, six in the morning, I'm going to get the you know yeah. the old electric guitar. I mean, out. once you've got your yeah, once you've got your kind of library of material approved, you know, and everyone mm -hmm. says we like that theme, we like that theme, we like this sound, we like this approach, then you start sticking it to the picture, and that's when it's sort of hard work in a different way, because then you have to think like, well, how can I make this work with what I'm actually seeing, mm. not spiritually and emotionally, but technically you know this scene is is one minute and 35 seconds and 12 frames long and music has to hit 17 different points you know we have to meet something that happens on the screen at you know several points in this uh, and we need to know what those things are and what we want to do that's when you have to start constructing the score in terms of mm. it's got to be timed right it's got to be the right key the right feel is it you know how minimal are we writing this scene? There's dialogue, so we don't want to get in the way of that, so nothing too big. You want to avoid, you know, upper and mid-level frequencies in, in, in woodwinds that kind of clash with speech. So when people are speaking, okay. you tend yeah. to use less woodwinds, or if you do lose woodwinds, you keep them quiet and chordal, not with melodies, because it confuses the ear. Uh, um, uh, and um, that's when you have to, you know, at that point, it's like I will kind of busk through a scene on a piano. So I know what my melodies are because I've written them already. I know what oh, my wow. sounds are because I've made yeah, yeah. those already. So it's like, which of the, you know, which is the appropriate thing to be playing musically in this? I mean, it might be that you improvise something different. You know, it doesn't always have to be from the from your source material, effectively. Mm. But, you know, if you tie, you know, the big moments tend to be. Um, and so, you know, I will very roughly sketch out uh, a, a cue from start to finish where it might be really rough you know if i'm if, if i think well i'm going to do low holding notes through this bit i will do very very rough low sort of piano rumbles and things and if it's sounds percussive i just sort of hit the hit the piano keyboards which like bang dang 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 and so when i play it back it's like i can hear that in my head but when i play mm. it back uh i know what i'm uh, then it's a matter of kind of coloring it in so in a way with that kind of pass through it, uh, it's a bit like a blueprint. And from that mm. point on, you have to make building from it. And do you, um, do you riff so off the actor? You know, do you have a do you have a big screen that you're just riffing off them and 
you know, you say you're, you're feeding off the energy that's on the screen as when you're doing it, or do you just kind of stop watching yes. and just let your fingers play? No, there comes a point where you do have to stop. Uh, but again, every time I finish something that I'm happy with, I will always literally push myself away from the desk by about two or three feet and just play the scene back and just see whether or not, A, nice. is that enough? Is that enough? Have I done enough? Mm. B, if I haven't done enough, what am I missing? Uh, 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 but the main thing is, like, does it feel like it works? It's like um, your painting analogy when you said, you know, when you add yes. a colour, you take a step back, that kind yeah. of removing yeah. yourself from the, the nowness yeah. of it. Yeah, and there's also something very telling that, that if I watch a scene with someone else, mm. I know immediately what's wrong with it if I've done it. I mean, I might have finished a sequence. I go, like, all right, I like that. That's okay. And then if you call someone in to look at it, just the fact that they're there with a, yeah. you know, with a different set of ears and they don't have to say anything, but you get the sense of you sort of feel the scene as you play it back. Mm. And sometimes you get the sense of them ebbing away from a moment when they feel like they want to be moving forward towards it. And it tells you a lot about, well, maybe that needs to be, you know, you, you, you kind of come to the end of the sequence and go like, that bit there feels like it should be a bit quicker. Or, I don't know, now it feels a bit slow. Mm. You know, it's like when you're, when you're in the presence of an audience, effectively, uh, it does, you know, it does make you think more clearly about what it is that you're doing. And of course, at some point, director and producer is going to come in and hear it. So you're going to want to be able to, you know, to have it at its best when they, when, when they hear it, because they're mm. going to be feeding it the same way that you are. Mm. And when you're, when you're writing it, has it just been that the, the easiest ones were the ones where the awards came and it was all just perfect and you didn't have to work that hard on it? Or do you have to, like, is it? I've never done one where I haven't had to work hard on it. <laughs> yeah, okay, sorry. Probably I mean, wrong, wrong guy, but yeah. Yeah, but you know what? Sometimes the music comes easier. You know, yes, sometimes. That's, yeah, that's, that's. Sometimes things just appear under your fingers. Um, it's an odd one. This like the most recent thing was that the animation thing called The Tiger Who Came to Tea, which was a, we on Channel 4. Mm. And it was from a book that I loved. And it was 50 years old. And I know that everyone had a lot of love and care about it. Um, but everything about that came easily. And I don't know why. Uh, and not only that, but they loved it as well. Nice. You know, sometimes things come easily and people just don't like it. Mm. Uh, and then it's hard work to, you know, get it to a point when, you know, to get that right. But that was, you know, probably that's the only one where it's like pretty much I got a tick every time something went over. Mm. Uh, and, but it felt right. I don't know what it was, but it just something. I mean, the film was great and that always helps. But that's the main thing, really. Um, you know, sometimes you have to dig it out. Sometimes mm. you really have to dig it out. Um, but things things arrive in your head and those you know the greatest moments are when something arrives in your head I mean like I'm writing a song at the moment for an artist um, who's quite famous and uh, I was up I had my guitar and piano I had like four hours of just like trying things and none of it was working at all I had no idea why and I thought I'm just going to pack it in and I was walking back into my house and just as I walked through you know the end of the path getting to the back door this tune just popped into my head and it was like, oh, that's it. I wasn't even thinking about it. You know, but I started... <laughs> Quickly I, run I, back. I heard, it, I heard it in my head. I just put it on my phone. I put it on a, you know, I, I, I record it into my phone. Mm. Uh, and that kind of solved the problem of it. You know, nice. sometimes that happens, but that's the result of working. You know, that's the result of, of, of a lot of the time writing is getting rid of the rubbish 
you know, like 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 scooping something off the top. You know, if you if you if you're making curds and whey, you know, it's like you got to get rid of all the junk that's on the top to get to the stuff that's at the bottom. You know, and sometimes you know you got to write a lot of things that need to be binned mm. uh, in order to uncover the thing that you're really looking for. Nice. Um, sometimes that comes easily. Honestly, if I knew how that worked, then I would never. <laughs> feel like I would have to do any work ever again because yeah. you know just switch the button switch the button on that says make this idea great immediately without mm. any effort being made and sometimes it comes in your head like that and sometimes sometimes it comes in your head and you think it's good and then you play it and you go, actually it's not good and then it's days and days and days of, 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 of trying to find your way it's like finding your way through a forest you know you know that yeah. there is another side to it you know that there's a way out you know, sometimes you get lucky, you know, you find the path that goes all the way to the end. You know, it's like mm. that Bear Grylls Island program. You know, sometimes they're looking for water. They spend four days and don't find anything. And on another program, you know, two guys will walk out and find it in 10 minutes. You know, that's when there's a lot of hard work ahead. And those, and this is, I guess this is probably stupidity on my part, but, you know, you were talking about the hours that you do in six till 10, 11 and 12 o'clock at night. For yeah. some reason, you know, they're kind of us shooting on film sets. I just naturally had a, an idea that making music, you'd be like, oh, well, I'll get up and I'll do a little bit. And I do like that hard work. Does that allow you to be able to filter through all of those ideas that you're talking about? You have to be. Well, you always, you know, if you have if you have more time, then I think you can do better work. You know, yeah. the same if you're on a film set versus a TV set, you know, mm. four setups a day versus 20 setups a day. You know, you know, there's there's when doing this good omens thing and 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 Sherlock, you know, it's like you realize that, you know, people had one take at something a lot of the time, you know, or one and a half takes, you know, it's like you run it, do it again, that's it, move on. Mm. You know, there's not the luxury of film. So, um, you know, everyone's under the same constraints, I suppose. But a lot of it's got to do with how much music there is. You know, I mean, I've done films that have got two hours of music. In. Wow. Uh, and if you think about two hours of solid music, that's a lot. And yeah. you can comfortably get through about two minutes a day. So you can, you know, you can figure that out in terms of how many days it takes mm. to write 120. You know, it's, it's like 12 weeks, really. Um, and most of the time we only get six, you know, six to eight maximum. Um, and uh, so, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a haul um and i'm not particularly fast you know it's like i always like to go back to something and walk away from it and look at it again mm. um sometimes you get to the end of a project and you write something right at the end you think oh god if i never known that at the beginning yeah. you know you try and adjust as much as you want but you know all you can do at these points is, is is look forward to the next thing and try and get better um but uh it's uh, yeah it's a very unsociable job very solitary job mm. um which is why whenever you see musicians at award ceremonies, they usually look like death. And uh, but you know, anywhere where there's free beer, do you get to go to many? No, 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 is I don't. Fancy? I mean, well, I mean, I've been to a few, um, and it's like the fame thing, isn't it? You know, people tell you fame isn't all that much cop when mm. you're famous, um, and when you say I've been to a few award ceremonies and they're a bit the same every time you know and everyone goes oh my god you must be mad what are you talking about you know it's like, i'd go i'd go I go, well i did go you know and I, know, I know i know what it's like but the nicest thing about them for me is like meeting people you don't normally get to meet you know mm -hmm. sometimes 
sometimes I do a film. I mean, I might have done three or four films of an actor and never met them. You know, but oh. you feel you know them intimately. You yeah. know, because because you know you know every nuance of every word that they've spoken. You know every mm. facial tick. You know every double take, every movement. You know the thing that they do with their hands when they say a certain word in a certain way. All this informs what you write when you're writing music. Um, so you're really deeply analytical of things, and it's really odd to bump into someone like that at a do and not feel like they know you as well as you think you know them. Mm. Um, but it's nice to, you know, it's nice to get out is the honest answer. Because, you know, when you're, when, when you're, when you're on your own for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, yeah. then, you know, meeting other people uh, is, is quite nice. Although, obviously, from a respectable social distance. Yes, two metres at all times, please, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and... Uh, we're kind of getting close to the amount of time that I, d I like to ask for. And I always okay. love to just, just get a sense of what advice you would give to your younger self. Cause you've know, you've done so much and your experience that experiences that you've gone through are absolutely unique to you. And there's probably no one on the planet that's doing your job that has done and has gone through. Yeah. This process. Yeah. Well, I, I still go back to that point. I think I stopped talking about, University of West London on the honorary degree mm. um, uh, that I waffled on and then forgot I was talking about that and started talking about something else. But we talked about the idea of your big break. Yes. <clears throat> you know, this seems to be the, the you know, the, the question more than any, anyone that you get asked is like, how do you get in? You know? And uh, I mean, I can only ever talk about my own personal experience, but um, it made me think about it when people were asking me that you realize, well, what was your big break? Um, and I realized that when I was 20 uh, in Luton, uh, I met a guy who was 16 in Luton, at an old hat factory, which had been kind of turned into a bit of an art center. You know, I know, you know, art center and Luton don't necessarily go together, but there was one. And um, it was, you know, it was, it was very low budget in as much that it had virtually no budget. So mm. it was basically an old house, like an old hat factory. And the bottom floor was a rehearsal room. The middle floor was a practice room. And the top floor was a little video editing suite with a couple of VHS machines and a vision. Mixer. Um, so very little stuff, you know, mm. but the spirit of creativity, which is brilliant. Uh, and there was a guy who was 16 who was making little films by himself on the top floor. And I used to be playing, rehearsing, playing piano and messing about downstairs in the rehearsal room. And we used to meet on the stairs and talk about films that we liked. And... Uh, he said, I want to be a film director. And I said, well, I want to be a film composer. So he said, well, why don't you start doing my stuff? So I started doing his things. Um, two years after this, three years after this, one of the things that we did, we entered into the BBC Young Filmmaker of the Year competition, mm -hmm. which doesn't exist anymore, uh, where people would send in and it'd be judged by a panel of judges. The, one of them was uh, Alan Parker. Uh, and anyway, this film uh, had won, won the overall competition. Danny at this point was like 19. I was 23, I think. And um, he went for an interview at the National Film and Television School uh, as a director to get in uh, and got in. He was the youngest student to get in as a director. Uh, I applied and didn't get in uh, for a composer, but Danny kept using me on his films and I, I was hanging around the film school. They wouldn't let me use any of their equipment or anything, but I would go up there a couple of times a week uh, in Beaconsfield and then meet other producers and other student filmmakers. And I'd do some of their work as well. 
this was when I was doing all the temp work and, you know, digging holes oh, yeah. in roads and then I'd do that sort of thing. Um, anyway, so this went on for like four years. Uh, at the end of this, Danny gets his first feature film. A year later, Danny gets his first feature film called The Young American, uh, asks me to do it, uh, convinces the producers to let me do it because I'd never done it before. By this point, I'd run about 23 student films, right? So I'd, I'd done a lot and learned a lot. Mm. Uh, and uh, we did that film, uh, wrote the song Play Dead with Björk, which at the end titles. Um, and then the film did quite well. Someone in America saw it, liked it, liked the music. Six months later, I was on the plane to Los Angeles to work on Stargate. Wow. Right? So you think like, well, what is your big break? My big break was meeting Danny Cannon when he was 16 and I was yeah. 19. That was my big break. That's Nothing it. else, really. They're all extensions. You know, it's mm. sort of, it was the first domino to fall. Um, and I always remember saying to like students, like, you know, you could be very wary of who you're with mm. because, you know, the people that you're with, they might be your big break and you just don't know it yet. Um, you know, so be careful and kind to people. And, and you know, if you do good work, people will, will, will find you, you know good people i don't think there's that much amazing undiscovered talent in the country mm. you know if someone's really good and they tend to get noticed very quickly mm. uh, I, I think so i you know there is no actual door that anyone can open for you which says here is the you know here is the room where all the successful people are yeah. there's your chair um you have to kind of find your own way really but i mean part of it is being super aware of where you are and what you're doing and who you're working with mm. and also you know making sure that you're making most of the time that you are spending doing the thing that you like doing because it's the only thing you have any control over you know the only control you have is what you do today you know when you wake up uh i mean i know some people don't if you're in prison i suppose but uh, but you know, I mean, ultimately, it's like for creative people, I suppose. It's like, well, what yeah. what am I going to do? What am I going to do today? And you choose what that is. Mm. Um, uh, and I think, write for things that you love that you can connect with, because you know, you can you can kind of slide into careers in music, which are to do which are to do with things that you don't really like. You know, I mean, you could just end up just doing a certain sort of project you know or, mm. or just doing um you know commercials or something you know and you might like that and you might not like that but if you don't like it then i would say well why are you doing it yeah you know, if you don't like it because yeah. it's not it's not going to help you do what you really want to do and you know sometimes you get into the trap of needing to do it because of budgetary reasons but mm. you know i mean when i got my first film i was still you know sort of living at home i mean it's a bit embarrassing really but I knew I, but I knew I didn't want to have to do things that I didn't want to do. Yeah. You know, I mean, I was lucky in that regard that my mum and dad let me stay there. But um, you know, I was in and out over the years. You know, but mm. when I needed to go back for a year or something, then it was never a problem. Um, but I never went anywhere. I didn't own anything. You know, didn't have a girlfriend. Didn't you know go on holiday? Never had any money. But it meant that when I woke up in the morning, I could do music. I can do music today because I don't have to do anything else. So I don't have to look after all these other things. Mm. So I never actually got into any of that stuff until I'd done, you know, two or three feature films. And I got my first flat, you know. I mean, so it was, a, you know, it was quite late in the day, I suppose, as an adult mm. man, you know, to be 32 before you start thinking about that sort of thing. But, but there you go. And it's been sort of non-stop ever since. Um, but again, you talk to 
any other composer that have a different story as to you know as to why and how um but being aware of yourself and how you are with other people is hugely important you know it's a big political thing is not only is he talented enough but do we like him mm. you know because you know there are plenty of people i know who have got a bit of a life's too short list to go well he's really good but he's terrible hard work you know and maybe we don't want to work that hard um with someone who's difficult so um you know without making yourself a doormat obviously but i think you know being 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 kind to people being considerate of people and listening to people is a big part of it amazing it's part-time psychotherapy i was going to say like even when you were talking about writing for a person there's a lot of psychology and 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 behaviorisms that you've got to take into 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 a, an account when you're writing for us but you know for a, a daniel yeah. craig or an arnold schwarzenegger you know yeah. even when you say those two different names instinctively you just think of different instruments yeah well of course it's them it's the character it's never them you mm. know but uh it's trying to understand the character but you know as a human being living with other human beings we have to do that on a daily basis i mean mm. i find people people the most fascinating things in the world and and you know i love i love people i love finding out about why they think the way they think and why they do the things that they do mm. i think it's the most interesting thing uh, ever and this is in a way this job is finding out about that on a daily basis um and trying to uh, trying to explore what i feel about them through music you know and uh, um so it's a perfect, perfect job for that. I always thought if I wasn't doing this job, mm. I'd quite like to do like sort of talk radio, you know, when people nice. phone up to talk about things. Yeah, yeah. Because I just love talking about things. Hey, as you might we can guess. start a new radio it's, show. I don't mind. Oh, we're in COVID, we're gone, in lockdown. This has gone, <laughs> gone on forever. I realise that you asked me a question at the beginning. I think it was 10 minutes before I inhaled. This I mean, is the beautiful like, thing of it. You know, no one's no one's coming on here to listen to my voice. Don't worry about that. I, know, I, I, re, I realize that one 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 question did leave, probably occupy about twenty five percent of your whole program, answer wise. But anyway, if you don't and mind, I, I don't it. mind. I loved it. I've had such a great time, and I honestly don't ever want to stop this chat. But I know that oh. you, you're a busy man, and you've got probably hundreds of things to be doing. Um, yeah, I got so to walk into another room and sit on a chair now. <laughs> Um, I like to always give the floor to the to the guests, just in case there's a, a project or a person or someone that you want to give a shout out to or a thanks or or highlight. So, is there anyone or anything that you want to mention? No, I mean, it's it's quiet at the moment, and uh, as it is for everyone. Um, and there's a couple of things that I'm working on that for next year, and hopefully they'll appear. You know, they're lovely. They're lovely projects, and um, I don't think they've been announced yet. So. I'm still okay. sort of sketching away, you know, but um, mm -hmm. no, I mean, obviously, hopefully, hopefully people can, um, you know, continue to be safe and um, as happy as they can possibly be under the circumstances. It's a weird thing for me being not have to have a deadline, you know, that's the biggest mm. shock since all this started, you know, everything basically got the ice put in and so like, okay, the break's on, we'll let you know, you know, if we can you know when this happens or mm. when it will continue to happen or when the next thing's going to happen uh and and you know so for like almost 30 years i've had you know every day's been we need this by tomorrow yeah uh, so it's been actually been really really lovely in a way you mm. know to to not have to 
worry about that. And um, but at the same time, you know, half the reason I write is because someone says I need it by tomorrow. Mm. You know, the work Does that deadline help. Oh God, yeah. I mean, it's like if you if you said to me you've got six months to write this piece of music, it would take me six months to write it. If mm. you said I need it by next week, then it will get done by next week. Mm. Yeah, deadlines. I love deadlines. I love deadlines. I mean, I'm I'm such a procrastinator. I would do anything rather than work. I mean, I know I do a lot, but I actually, in a way, I kind of hate it. And I sort of hate it because you know that you're basically putting yourself out again. You know, you're sort of hanging yourself out to dry again. And, uh, you know, someone's going to come and have an opinion on what you've done. Mm. And they might not like it. And that's never nice. Mm. Uh, you know, so that initial thing, you know, all of a sudden, all of a sudden you're back at the foot of Everest and just because you've climbed it, you know, 30 times before, doesn't mean that this time it's going to be easy mm. or any easier, or you're even going to be able to make it to the top. Um, so does that stop uh, it being, yeah. does it become a job rather than a passion or do you need the passion to do the hours to make the job? Yeah. You don't mind doing the hours once you've got it, once mm. you've cracked it, it's like, well, it's just a matter of getting it done. But, um, that initial couple of weeks when everyone's expecting something and all you've got is a blank page is, is horribly intimidating and you never really feel that you're good enough and you're constantly wondering if you're ever going to be able to do this job ever again and you know asking yourself what's what's the what's the most what's what's the least dangerous way of getting injured so I can get off this movie without you know being embarrassed you know look, i'm really sorry i'm afraid my leg has I'm been so surprised to hear you say cut that off by a bus yeah because i'm, like, uh, I'm you know, afraid it's amazing because you kind of you know and i guess myself and people that are coming up we kind of look at the people at the top of the chain and just go it must be so easy they must be so confident every job must just be a walk in the park but hearing you say that it's a real eye-opener Oh no, it's awful. It's awful because it's like, you know, who likes being judged, you know, like yeah. no one. And especially when it's something as emotionally based as music is. I mean, mm. it's a very honest and personal thing. You know, it's like someone coming every day and telling you that they hate the way your face is. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like having a four year old well. at home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get that as well. It's just, a, a, it's like that, but with music. You know? Yeah. Because I guess it is a, it is a, it's your child, it's your personal. You've got to, you know, you've got to open yourself up, I guess, emotionally to be able to yeah. write emotional music. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the old adage is, you know, if it doesn't come from the heart, it won't go to the heart. You know, right. so you know, you have to kind of dig those things out. Mm. Um, but you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a snivelling, you know, sort of artist you know, writhing around in agony at being, not being able to do something. It's, you know, it is a, it, to a certain extent, it is a practical thing. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the music exists because the show exists. Mm. So you have to take everything really from, from you know, from the programme, sometimes just watching it again or, uh, or just watching it again from standing on a box or standing somewhere else, you know, or with some perspective, yeah. With someone else, mm. you know, it just makes you think about it slightly differently. So... You try and learn all the tricks, but I don't know anyone who's successful, A, who isn't hardworking, and B, doesn't think that they're a fraud. Nice. Now, I know I have said that we're going to end it, but there was a, there was a question, if, you, if you've got time. You were said, yeah. like, back at the beginning of this chat, you mentioned about how feature films and TV dramas, because of the intimacy levels, 
yeah you know you said that there's a different you know you do you write differently for it does it have to be a different type of score or could you take a film score and plonk it into a tv drama and go there you go well i mean most oddly most of the sort of film stuff i've done uh, the tv stuff i've done has been quite cinematic in its um uh, reach mm. you know sherlock always felt reasonably cinematic didn't feel mm. like tv necessarily um you know dracula was was very good good omens was was sort of very cinematic um you know there is a um there is an ambition which you need to try and match you know mm. but you have to realize what that ambition is um but you know with tv you know you are restricted budget wise time wise so um you know you can't do the things you have to be in a way a bit more creative because you don't have the tools available to you in terms of time in a good studio and the amount of players and the variety of players mm. so you end up doing most of it yourself and then having you know you might have strings for a morning you know whereas like if you're doing a movie you would have seven or eight days with a full orchestra so wow. um what's that um, like you know you've got this you know huge orchestra in front of you and they're playing your baby um, do you conduct it? Do you yeah. get someone else? Do you have to take a step back and just let it all sink in? Yeah, I, I, I have a conductor because it's only going to sound like that in that room and everyone else is going to hear it at home via the recorded version. Yeah. So in terms of saving time, uh, if I'm in the control room when it's being recorded, I know what it sounds like. If I'm conducting it, then I have to stop conducting, come in and listen to the recording and see if I like it, see whether I want to change it. Mm. So that's like, if, you, if you've got a 75-piece orchestra and for half of the recording session, they're sitting down doing nothing, waiting for you to listen to what they've just done. Mm. That's hugely expensive yeah. uh, and inefficient. So, And also, I'm not a very good conductor. I mean, if I was a good conductor, I might think differently, but I, conducting is terrifying. It's a very mm. specific skill. Uh, but I prefer to listen to it and, and hear it. Um, but it's funny, it's, you sort of touched on it a little bit with that question that when you tell people what you do, a lot of the time the first thing they say is like, it must, sound, it must be so amazing to hear an orchestra playing what you've done. Mm. It must be so amazing. And I always think it's never amazing because I've heard it already yeah. in my head. And so the recording of the piece is trying to get it close to what you've got in your head. Mm. Um, you know, if you were an architect and you've designed a building, you've designed every aspect of it, and you see the building, you're not going to go like, "Oh my God, that's amazing." You would have gone like, eh, "That colour's a bit wrong." <laughs> you know, this is a little bit that feels like yeah, it's a yeah. little bit too much. You know, sticking out on that side mm. because you know everything about it. You've seen it in your head a million times. So when you when you hear it realised, the most the, the thing that I mainly feel is relief. You know, it, okay. it relief that, that it's got close to, to, to what you want. Mm. And a lot of the time, surprise at how amazing the players are at getting there. Mm. You know, they are so skilled and they're Turn so amazing. Just sheet reading, just for the They've first never time. seen it. They've never seen it. And, and you can say things to them like, well, this is exactly how I heard it, but now I don't like it. Yeah. So can you play it differently? And they'll do it. And it changes it, changes it completely. It's so extraordinary. You know, but these people... You know, like more than any other profession, I don't know any other profession that in order to stay at, you know, peak condition, if you're a doctor or a dentist, you know, you're not at the weekends having to practice doctoring 
for eight or nine hours. I just you pictured know, a dentist nice. at home like that, right, kids? Come to the yeah. chair. <laughs> but but you know what? If you if you're if you're a musician, you are playing six to seven hours a day. Yeah. Because you've got to stay in peak form. Yeah. You know, it's like being an athlete. Mm. You know, for your whole life. And don't forget, you start when you're about six. Mm. You know, you start. You do two hours of practicing at night, and then at weekends you get up at four thirty to go to special music schools, uh, and then you go in like university. You go to music school. You do. You're just playing, playing, practicing, 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 and then you know someone gives you a call. You know, if you're not if you're not match fit, then that's no good to anyone. You know, mm. so it's like if you were playing for Man United and you're on the subs bench and you never get a game, mm. you've got to be fit enough yeah. to be able to do the do the job when you when you get the call. Mm. Um, but even if you're, you know, you know, I don't know anything about football, so you know, like David Beckham when he was playing for Man United, he didn't not train. You know, in between matches, you know, you've still got to be good enough yeah. and stay good enough. And these players are still, you know, you know, 50, 60, 70 years of age sometimes, you know, still practicing five, six hours a day Amazing to keep it going, you know, to be that good. Amazing. Well, that that to me sounds like a big shout out to all of the orchestras that you played with. Well, That's- you know what? It's like it's just dots on paper otherwise, isn't it? You know, yeah. I mean, otherwise, what have, you, what have you got if you write a film script and you've got no actors? You know, yeah. it's like... You've got a story, in a way. You know, the book. they bring yeah. they, they bring so much they bring so much to it. So, and you, it's easy to take that for granted because they're such a high standard. But um, I mean, that's the great joy is 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 actually watching other people like it. Mm. You know, for me, it's nerve wracking recording because it's at the point the last point where someone says I don't like it. Can you do it again? You know, and all of a sudden you've added another week of work into a sort of three day schedule. Um, you know, but at the point when they go, oh, it's usually a relief, you know, when they hear it and it sounds, you know, sort of cinematic or it sounds emotionally correct and mm. uh, and it's doing the job. You know, it's just it's just it's just the relief on people's faces that is the thing that relaxes me, you know, because then, you know, you're OK. Then, you know, it's just you just concentrate on getting the performances right. Love it. God, as I said, look, I, 15 minutes ago, I told you we're leaving and I'm still asking no, these questions. Well, look, thank you so it much. Or speed it up. Look, I honestly, I just, I love the fact that a man of your stature is has given me this lonely little dude over in, you know, London, a, an hour of your time to to talk about what you do and and kind of almost not demystify it, but just, give a realistic understanding of what you do. You know, I really, honestly, really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, so well, it's lovely. You. Well, thank, thank, thanks for asking me. But, I mean, it's the only job in a way that, in a way, is the thing that directors can't do. You know, it's an odd thing, isn't it? Because I think most directors could probably handle a camera. They could probably get through an edit. You know, they might be able to yeah. write a script, but then I, they could, you know, they, they could probably, you know, have an idea about makeup and, uh, you know, not necessarily do it, but they've got an idea about how it all works. And mm. music's a great sort of mystery, isn't it? It's like because it's not a thing; it's a it's something else. Yeah. You know, you can't. It's, it's difficult, difficult. But um, I've just got pictures um, of as you say that I've got like pictures of Spielberg back in the day, just going to a film composer. I've got an idea for this Jaws film, and it's like bump, bump, bump. That's exactly like the first thing. Do you ever get that? The director's just suddenly just well, gives you a little tune. No, and not sing. really. And it's the worst thing you could do. It's like an, it's like a director giving a line reading to an actor. Yes. Nice. You know, going up to Robert De Niro and going, like, can you say it like this? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, it's like, well, well do it yourself if that's the case, mm. you know. 
Um, but no, I mean, the worst ones maybe are the ones that have a little bit of knowledge and, and you know, would like to say something and get involved. And the best ones are the ones that I always encourage to talk to me in terms of the emotional language of it. You know, mm. I don't want to, you know, just tell me how you want to feel about the scenes, what I'm nice. interested in. How, did, how do you want to feel about it? Not like I want this to sound with loads of drums and, mm. you know, queer electric guitar or something, because me realizing what you want to feel might not involve those things. Mm. And in fact, you thinking that that's what is going to work to realize your ideas might not be correct. Mm. So let's not get into specifics about anything. Let's just talk about the emotional color of the scene. You know, how do you want to feel at this point, at this point, and at this point? And then music will do all that. Oh, God. I've got to start saying this outro or else you're never going to get gone. Yeah, all right. Yeah, do, so, that right. do that. So, ladies and gents, like, I just, I'm going to give the applause, you know, because I've just honestly have loved having this chat. I, it just felt lovely and thank you for answering the questions as open and honestly as you have um it really has been an absolute honor and a privilege um our first award winner on the film gods so welcome to being a film god sir not that you weren't before uh, but thank you. first first of many i'm sure um and, well, I, and, I hope everyone yeah, has a good you. time listening to it and it's not so boring oh god they're gonna love it i fucking loved it um, so ladies and gents, share it, send it to anyone that, you know, has an interest in film composing and writing music or just getting into the film industry because the stories that you hear here don't necessarily need to be for a film composer, they can be for anyone. So until we meet again, ladies and gents, thank you very much. And that is a wrap. So that was a chat with the king or queen in the game. I give it a shout at the end so you all know the name. It's the Film Gods Podcast. The what? The Film Gods Podcast.